Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or you can support and join our community at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we are going to be talking about social class and particularly the impact of social class on looking for and landing a job. And so um, I thought an interesting topic because actually, and something we'll discuss as a potential limitation, although I don't think it's a complete limitation, is that this article uh, looked at college students who were looking for jobs. Mm. And um, so I was wondering, what was the very first job that you had? Oh, um, but after college or before college, <laughs> just in Any, general, anything all that life. You, like the very, the first thing that you consider like a job. Okay. So when I was in high school, I worked for Macy's and I started off at the fragrance counter. Mm. Um, so I sold people perfume and then I, um, so that's when I was in high school. I did that like obviously part time. And then when I went to college the first year I did it in the, over the summer too and I did like a I became a floater which is basically I got I helped out at any makeup counter or fragrance counter that needed additional hands hmm. um which was awesome because I got so many samples I got like all the <laughs> perfume samples but then also every time I'd go to a counter it'd be like I'm at Clinique today and I would get Clinique samples at all the Women that worked the different counters, like I was so young, I think they just thought it was like fun, like when we had downtime to like play like makeup because they do, they're like makeup artists, which I didn't know. They have like intense training um, to work at all those counters. So like I obviously was not going through that training. So that's why I was just afloat and like could sell things, but couldn't really do a ton. Um, But then when they had downtime, they always had my makeup. So like 90% of the time I would leave work with like full makeup done. It was really awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) I, for some reason, the word like floater, like I felt like it meant like you like floated around the floor and like sprayed perfume into the air or something. I don't know. Why. <laughs> no, those are the, they're like perfume reps and they actually, the people that do that, they come, they're sent by the company. So like mm. Calvin Klein or whatever would send a person that would go from store to store and they're the ones that like spray you with whatever. Um, Very But if you're working at the fragrance counter at like a Macy's, and I'm guessing it's probably similar at Nordstrom or something like that, um, they they sell everything, right? There's no like preference necessarily. Mm. Um, so that's why they send their own people. But then obviously in the makeup counters, like they're trained specifically for that brand that they're working on. Very interesting. Well, I just learned something new about floaters and fragrance and makeup counters. Um, my first job was at Outback Steakhouse, um, which I worked at in high school. Um, and onions. during the summers, the bloomin' <laughs> onion, the scent of the bloomin' onion. Um, but like, I feel like I worked for some like off brand, like it wasn't, but like ever, a lot of people have had positive experiences working for them. But like my particular location was so mismanaged and horrible that I feel like I just had some weird, like, <laughs> unstandardized Outback Steakhouse experience because um, there were like many violations of laws that were being broken in that location from like we weren't allowed to eat 
anything what? for like yeah like they would book me on a double shift and you weren't allowed to eat while you were on shift so I would be on for 16 hours and they'd be like sorry you can't eat so I would oh like oh my god hide. you stole fries obviously from people all the time because yeah, that's the only I, way to eat I, I stole that pumpernickel bread and I would eat it in the oh, walk-in yum. freezer I would like stand what? in the walk-in freezer and eat bread <laughs> and like the kitchen people would like look out for me to make sure nobody was wa- like coming to see me standing in the freezer to eat bread. Um, That's wild. There were a lot of things wrong with my Outback location, but that was one of them. But um, yeah, that was the first job I had of a string of jobs in, uh, in restaurants. So uh, that was my first experience. And I will say uh, they got better from Outback it was it was not a high bar uh to to beat but they did get a little better um what other restaurants did you did you only work at restaurants before you went into like your career type stuff um yeah and like other like babysitting or nannying type things but those Mm. were more like just like for a family like not um but Yeah. yeah I I worked um at like a fancy Italian restaurant for a long time. And I worked at like a restaurant at the beach for a while, um, mm-hmm. which was like, that was, it sounds fun. That was like a horrible, another like horrible oh. establishment. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so I had uh, like a lot of experience um, working in restaurants. That's my primary, that was my primary work experience before I went into grad school. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we both had some service related jobs um yeah I did retail at UCLA's like student store and then my last like non-career job was I worked with the athletic department at UCLA which that was my favorite one I Mm. like basically half of my job was sitting in the like hall of fame and like greeting people or picking up if someone called the athletic department and writing them to the right thing so 90 percent of the time i just was reading a book oh yeah doing my homework it was like super easy yeah and then the other part was like i was in the mail room so then i got it but that was fun because i got to interact with like all the coaches and stuff so that was really cool too so that's fun that was a good one that sounds like a good one that sounds exciting um anyways social yes (laughs) yes so um and it's interesting that we both had uh service related jobs because um I think dealing with the general public is a good learning lesson um yes yeah like just of having to deal with many different personalities and temperaments and um (laughs) all of that stuff um putting it nicely (laughs) yes exactly uh very diplomatic a very customer servicey answer um (laughs) so um what we're going to be talking about today is basically the end goal of what you want when you're looking for jobs whether they be in the service industry whether they be in other industries whether it's your first job your second job whether you were looking for a job voluntarily, whether you're looking for a job because you're laid off, being able to look for and then ultimately find a job is really important for your financial and psychological well-being. And um, this article delves into the idea of social class as being a predictor of whether or not individuals uh, gain employment. And an interesting thing, as I mentioned about this particular article before I get into the takeaways, is that this was done in a college student sample. Um, So we're looking at social class, uh, perhaps in a more um, 
truncated way because these are college students and so there could be some restriction in terms of the social class range that's in here, although it is a large state university where this data came from. So a little more variability than if they had uh, collected data at a place that has like, you know, not that tuitions everywhere aren't wild, but that had like off the charts tuition was very exclusive, etc. Um, but uh, this is basically looking at even the variability that occurs within a college student sample seems to make a difference in terms of people's ability to land jobs. And uh, so there are three takeaways that I want to put forth about this, and then I'll break those down. So your social class has to do, the first takeaway, your social class has to do both with your parents' background and how you grew up, but it also has to do with how you see yourself and your class. So um, there's a component around your perception of your class, and there's also a component around the objective part of your class. Um, and the reason for that is because social class is both um, a state of mind that has an impact as well as a material piece of things. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And social class relates to really important things that help to determine how hard you search for a job. So we're going to talk a little bit about when people say, well, you know, just put in the effort and go find a job. And why is this person not trying hard enough? There are actually things related to social class that are, um, that are uh, psychological in nature that may keep people from searching as hard for a job. And we're going to talk about why that is. And a lot of it has to do with structural um, beliefs that this will actually turn out well for them. Um, and then the last piece is that job search intensity has to do with whether or not you get a job and social class also has to do directly with whether or not you get a job. So um, the harder you search, the more likely it is that you'll find a job, but social class actually predicts whether or not you find a job um, through intensity as well. So interesting. Yeah. So um, to sort of start from the beginning here, just to get a sense of what social class is. Now, over time, social class matters less about your parents um, and more about you. In this instance, we are looking at people who are new to the workforce. So there's a much heavier reliance on thinking about social classes, how you grew up and what your parents' income is. As time goes on and you make your own career, you would replace that with your own income. So you can be a social class climber where your background still matters a little bit, but where you stand today matters a little more. Um, but for earlier career entrants, what their background is matters a little more than where what their first job offer is, let's say. Um, I think that's really interesting because um, there's, like you said, like the class climber type of person. But I feel like there's also people that, you know, maybe make less than their parents, but still feel like they belong to us like you're talking about the mm -hmm. perception piece too so I'm like really yeah. curious to hear more about that because like they feel like they still belong in like whatever class that they grew up in but maybe their current role isn't as lucrative as like what their parents are making but they still like try to live the life of that other class right or they feel mm -hmm. like they are that other class so I'll be curious to hear more about that because I do think that there's something interesting there and like you said you know when you're really close to your parents because you're new to the workforce it makes sense that would be um, a big 
piece of what social class looks like. But I'm curious, like, how does that perception piece come into play later in the future? Because now you're reliant on your own income. But if you still feel like you're of a higher class or a lower class than what you actually are today, does that change things? Yeah. And as a preview, it does. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, to give you a sense of what we're talking about that social class um, provides you with, there are sort of three different forms of capital that you have access to in a higher degree um, when, uh, when you have a higher social class compared to not. So people with higher social class have greater access to cultural capital, like knowledge or skills about how the world works behind the scenes, how to act from like a mannerisms perspective in a broader array of um, situations, behavioral scripts for sort of how to act in more like fancy scenarios, right? So um, you have access to an understanding of various cultures across the socioeconomic spectrum at a greater extent than people who uh, do not have that access or from a lower social class. Um, people from higher social class also have access to more social capital, more relationships with others, and especially relationships with people who hold power. And then economic capital, which is just wealth, right? You have more access to money. And so you can uh, buy more things and you don't have to think as hard about um, mm -hmm. security, right, from an economic perspective. So those three forms of capital are more accessible to people from higher social classes versus um, individuals who are from lower social classes. And those are sort of the material pieces of being a part of a class. The second piece that we talked about in this perception has to do with how people feel. Um, so as you mentioned, do you consider yourself as belonging to a lower, middle, or upper class group? So if you grew up in an upper class group, but you yourself don't make that much money in adulthood, you might still consider yourself to be in a higher class. And that might change the way that you relate to the world around you and the way that you relate to your work in general. So it's not just about what you have. It's also about how you feel. Um, and, uh, both of those things combine to make up what is a felt sense of social class that then impacts your job related behaviors. That's, that is interesting that like the combination of the two. Um, but thank you for bringing that down because I don't think about those like material pieces in the same way, especially that cultural component. Like it makes a lot of sense now that mm -hmm. you've said it, but I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah. And actually, the reason that I stumbled across this article was because I've been doing some work around social class and job search. And one of the things that always really bothers me in society and um, in our research as well is that there's sort of this assumption that people are coming into the job search process or into employment in general with networks that they can tap into, with resources that they can rely on, with knowledge about how organizations work. And the reality is that all of those things are more behind a curtain than people might think. And so mm -hmm. that is not a natural or intuitive thing. And so when people are like, oh, you need a new job, use your networks. Well, that advice is sort of useless to people who don't have networks that can help them with jobs, right? But it's super useful to people who do. Um, but there's sort of an assumption that everyone has a network or everyone has an understanding of how to, um, 
how to operate within different organizational contexts effectively or understands the politics of organizations. And um, just by by the fact that people have been born into a particular context actually uh, allows them to have more or less of that knowledge. So I think something that I like about exploring social class and job search is, you know, when people are like, well, you know, everybody needs to just get out there and try. And the more they try, if people would just try, they would get a job. Well, um, the resources that people tap as they're trying look really different and result Mm -hmm. in different outcomes for people. And so it's easier for some folks than other folks to do that. That's actually a really good point and super interesting about um, how, you know, the resources, the network, of course, play into it. But I also wonder, this is like such a tangent and maybe will be helpful for your research, but I wonder a little bit about the um, occupations of the parents Mm -hmm. too, because I think about like Danny's family as an example, like his parents, both healthcare, mom's a nurse, Mm -hmm. dad's a doctor no concept of how organizations work the way that mm-hmm. we would see it from like an right. office perspective. Right. Um, like a typical, like, you know, suit and tie business type of thing. Right. Um, so because that's so different than, you know, their context, like it's probably harder for them. Cause I feel like just in the comments they've made about like how to get jobs in the past, I've mm-hmm. always thought were really funny because I'm like, that does not make sense for, Right. Certain types of jobs. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, so I bet you there's a there's something there too, but that's super tangenty. But it just no, made, I think, think you're about, right. Like, the kind of resources you have. I think like cultural capital, there's all different kinds of cultures, right? And so um if you think about like if your parents are doctors, then you have a lot of cultural capital about what it means to be a doctor. So you have sort of an insider info about what that path looks like. And so you're going to have a leg up when you're looking compared to someone who has no clue what that path looks like because they've never known a doctor. They don't have access. Um, so I think cultural capital comes in a lot of different forms. Um, and so, yeah, so I think um, I think that what is interesting about this is that it's not just what you have, but also how you feel. Um, and that those two components combine to impact um, the extent to which you feel efficacious in your job search, the extent to which you feel confident that things will work out for you in your job search. And there's reasons why social class is related to job search efficacy. Um, the first is because people from lower social classes may not have had as much of an opportunity to build their self-esteem and confidence in themselves. So they might not have had opportunities to really have community or social activities or um, schools or educational opportunities where people really looked at them and said, like, you're a very special person. Um, Social class is related to people's feelings of being unique and special and being looked out for and developed in those ways. And so when people don't have those opportunities, they generally might feel lower confidence in approaching new situations in general. But also when people are from lower social classes, they see more of the hardships of finding jobs. They see the um, more negative end of the job market because they don't have the surroundings of people who things more easily work out for, right? So people from higher social classes tend to see more individuals who look for jobs and get jobs and stay in jobs for a while or have access to networks and then things work out. But people who have... um, a lower social class standing, they're less likely to have seen things work out so easily for people around them. And so they have less confidence that things will work out for them as well. Um, So this job search self-efficacy is really strongly related to social class. um, And 
I'm going to talk about in a second how that relates to um, your ability to actually get a job. But uh, there are two other things that are also related that actually in this sample did not relate to your ability to get a job. But um, it may be because this is a college student sample. But just from a well-being perspective, it's important to know it doesn't just relate to your self-efficacy. It also relates to the extent to which you feel supported in your search. So people from lower social classes perceive that they have less social support from friends, family, or mentors in getting a job. Um, and they also feel that they have um, more financial hardship, um, financial difficulty. And so um, there's more of an impetus to feel really anxious about the job search, right? Because if they don't get a job, they will need to fill in the gaps um, more quickly. There's less of a cushion to ride on. Um, so there's some other complications going on in the job search process for folks from lower social class around. I also don't feel like I have support. And this is a little more important for me from a financial perspective. Yeah, the stress of it, the impact is much yeah. higher um, if you don't have like if you don't have the support like that, obviously you're going to be more stressed out because people aren't helping you, supporting you, but also financially, like you said, if you're coming from a situation where maybe you don't have a lot of savings or any savings at all, then you're, you know, getting that next job is critical. And, um, that obviously creates a lot more stress. So when you go from the well-being perspective, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to, out of those three things, um, that uh, social class is related to self-efficacy, perceived social support and job search and financial hardship. Um, I'm going to hone in on job search self-efficacy because that's what actually leads people to search for jobs harder and then ultimately to be more likely to get a job. But I want to highlight one thing about support and financial hardship is that um, they did note in the article that in a sample of, let's say, unemployed people who are not new college graduates, where there's more variability in the type of person, they're not all coming from one university, they're not all college grads, et cetera, that your support, like your network, whether you know people, family, friends, et cetera, who are helping you, and the extent to which you're experiencing financial hardship, because for college students, that may be relative, right? Um, that the extent that to which you're experiencing financial hardship probably has more of an impact in a broader sample. So the authors of the article didn't want people to walk away thinking, oh, support and financial hardship probably don't matter in a broader sample of people from varied social classes. More the takeaway is that, wow, social class relates to people feeling unsupported in the job search and feeling more financial hardship when they're from lower social class. And it's likely that that impacts job outcomes somehow, but maybe just not in this sample because it was more of a um, restricted range of college students who have more in common than people from the broad population might. Yeah, that's totally fair, especially because like you're saying, you know, once you're in college, even if it's a large state university, there's still a barrier for certain classes, right? Yeah. And also from the high end, if it's a large state university, probably the richer folk are not going there either. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so more variability may lead to, um, you know, a, a broader range of outcomes associated with these things. But for now, I'm going to focus on um, job search self-efficacy relating to job search intensity, 
which is basically the extent to which you strive to get a job, how much job related activity that you do. So the more confident you feel that you're going to get a job, the more effort you put into it because you feel like it's possible that it's going to work out. And the more effort that you put into it, the more likely it is that you're going to get a job. But interestingly, beyond just effort um, and intensity, social class actually predicted whether or not you accepted a job um, during your senior year more early, um, than other folks did, um, on its own. So not only does social class make you feel more confident, which makes you feel like putting effort into it is worth it. And so you actually do that. So it may not be that people don't want to put effort into it. They might feel like it's just more fruitless. Like I'm not going to get a job anyway. Um, so what's the point? Um, but not only is there like, a personal behavior avenue, which I think people would put all of the eggs in that basket, right? Like, yeah, it's just your effort that matters. Um, there's also just a direct relation between parental income and education and whether or not you get an accepted job earlier. Um, so that's a direct predictor of whether or not you get a job. So beyond anything that you do, that just helps you get a job to be from a higher social class background. Um, but an interesting piece of this is that your perception of your social class was actually negatively related to you accepting a job. And, um, <laughs> and so what they think is that just being from a higher social class means you're more likely to get offers and accept a job. But thinking you're from a higher social class makes you turn down more offers because you feel like you're better than what you're getting. <laughs> So that was the interesting kind of counterintuitive effect was um, that people from that people who perceive themselves as being a higher social class tend to say, well, I don't need to accept this right away. Um, I can hold out for something better. So um, it's interesting because there's sort of this stigma associated with people not having jobs because they are perceived to not want to have jobs because they are too lazy to have jobs, let's say. But actually what they found in this study was people from lower social classes have lower intensity just because they feel like, I wish this would work out, but I don't know if it will. But people from higher social classes were actually actively turning down jobs because they felt they were like, those jobs were like below them, which is kind of interesting. That is really interesting. And I, I think the, uh, I mean, it, it makes sense though that perception piece from everything we were talking about earlier, right? Like if you feel like you're part of a different class, then you're going to behave differently and you may not get the rewards of that class that you thought you were going to get. But, uh, um, but it makes sense that your behavior would be shaped by that. Yeah. Versus, you know, like what the reality is because you are, you feel a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was super interesting. So I think if we were going to think about takeaways from the takeaways or what actions can be taken, a lot of whether or not you get a job has to do with the intensity with which you search. Mm -hmm. And some of it just has to do with straight social class. So two things that I can say are if people are having a hard time finding a job, it may not be because they don't want a job or they're not trying it may just be harder for them because they don't have the background that allows them access to these forms of capital that make it easier to get a job. 
So have some grace for people when they're having a harder time getting a job than maybe you are and try to see things from their perspective or think about why that might be the case before assuming that their um, lack of a job means that they don't want a job or they're incapable of having a job or they're not interested. Um, And the second piece around this is that if you know folks um, or you are a person who um, comes from or is currently um, in an income or education bracket uh, that would classify as being in a lower social class, engaging with role models, people who um, have had careers that are similar to what you would like, have obtained the jobs that are similar to what you would want to obtain, engaging with those folks and really learning about what they've done, um, even if it's just through the media or looking online at people's stories, um, seeing those positive role models can help build your confidence. And if you do have even one person who believes in you and uh, wants to see you succeed, spending more time with that person and um, allowing them to allowing what they think about you to really penetrate into what you think about yourself can be important. And if you're a person who knows that, you know, you're working with, um, you know, folks or you're hiring uh, folks who um, are looking for jobs within your organization and you're seeing that people tend to have less confidence in themselves or you know somebody who's from a lower social class who has less confidence in their job search, try to build up their confidence because the efficacy piece is really important for making people motivated to feel like, hey, it's worth the effort. And once people put in the effort, it makes it a little more likely, even though there will always be a more challenging road for them to get a job compared to people who have these kind of connections and resources, that boost of efficacy is really what's needed in order to make the intensity happen. So it's not the will, it's like believing that there's no way. And if you can make people believe that there's a way, then that impacts the will. I also wonder if there's not just something to the idea of maybe even if you don't think it's going to be helpful, just do it, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're in this situation where maybe you don't feel like you can like it's likely that you're going to get job in this place. Well, it's not going to hurt to apply to 30 jobs, you know, right. over the next few days. Like, yeah, it takes time. And of course, there's potentially confounds there, right? Like if I'm of a certain class, like it might be harder for me to have that time because I am working like a side job at my school right. or something, right? Like in this sample, whatever it is. But if you can try to push through how you're feeling and your doubts and just do it, even if you don't buy into it, it should probably help you, right? The more you're out there, the more your resume is out there, the your odds are better of getting mm-hmm. a job. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Not ideal, but you could try that too. Yeah, it's a good point to know that even if you don't feel like things are going to work out, that putting the effort in actually does have an impact, that that can actually maybe be useful to say, well, I don't feel like it's going to work out, but I know that that's normal for people coming from my situation to feel that way. But I also know that the data is telling me that if I do these things, it is more likely to work out even if it doesn't feel like that's the case. Um, So I think it's just important to really be aware that not everybody has the same resources and access in the job search process. So if people are getting stunted in their um, ability to find a job, it may be a situation and not a person related issue. Um, And the core parts that are about the person are really more about building their confidence towards getting a job. 
Um, and so if you can be that person that builds the confidence in someone else, it could make all the difference in their material and psychological reality moving forward. I have one more potential recommendation. Yeah. Want to hear your thoughts on it. I think there's also something to what leaders and organizations can do in, you know, helping their hiring managers understand the impact of social class, right? Because if they are always looking for the same type of people that are well-connected and, and you know, maybe they're, they know all these people in the industry or what have you, or, or they're a brand new, you know, person to the field, but they can speak very intelligently to the field. You're going to look at that person and be like, wow, they're, look at how advanced they are. That's great. They're, that's their first job, but they know what they're doing. If we understand that that is an extra boost that they're getting because of social class, like maybe we'll be a little bit more objective when the next candidate comes in and says, I actually have no idea what this business is like, right? But I bring these skills from school. So I think there's something to like understanding when you're looking at a brand new person coming into a field, like how can you try to be a little more objective about what they're saying based on their resources that doesn't actually impact whether or not they're going to be good performers. Like that's not going to change their performance as to whether or not they've seen or have an understanding of a business. It might mean they get there a little bit quicker, but their performance overall is not going to necessarily be different. Yeah. And taking a competency based approach, because I really like, uh, and I'm glad that you brought that up because you could look at someone's resume and be like, Oh, they went to an Ivy league school and they did a Fulbright. That's so impressive. And then you could look at someone else's resume and be like, they went to a state school and they worked their way through college. Well, one sounds more impressive than the other, but what are the skills that you're really looking for and who has them? And that's a different question than kind of getting overwhelmed by the um, class cues that you're reading on the resume, as opposed to thinking about, well, you know, what has each of these people learned from their experiences and how does that relate to the job, which is a different kind of question. Exactly. Yeah. So how can we understand their potential based on the skills they're bringing, the um, capacity to learn potentially, right? Like what are those other things, the competencies that they have versus, like you said, the the things that sound nice, that sound competitive to get into, et cetera, that do require some um, resources that not everyone has access to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great call out. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I hope that people take that tip that uh, looking at resumes objectively without giving an extra boost to people who have class cues can help you to see more what people have actually garnered and what their potential is um, than getting distracted by the connections networks because they may have gotten those opportunities through connections and networks that other folks didn't have. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're better at what they do. Exactly. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing this with us. I think it was a really good article. Yeah, I'm glad that you liked it and I appreciate everyone listening. Yes, thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions or want to chat with us, you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or join our community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh, 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 o